This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. What is up, everyone? And welcome to another episode of It's Called Soccer, the place where we talk about everything U.S. soccer. And there is a shed load of games going on for the U.S. teams. The national team has just lost against Japan 2 to nothing. We're going to talk at length about that game and preview the game against Saudi Arabia that's coming up at 2 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday afternoon. The youth national teams are also in games right now. The U-17s, the U-19s, the U-20s have all had matches. So we'll make sure to give you an update at the end of this episode. We are going to spend the majority of this just breaking down what happened in Dusseldorf, Germany. Ryan, you were there at the match. Tom and I were watching on TV. So we'll have a full view perspective from all of us that are going to be a little bit different. So stick with us. I'm your host, Jake joining you from Malvern, Pennsylvania. Ryan, you are now our sole European correspondent. How are you doing in Kaiserslautern, Germany? Hanging in there, man. You can definitely tell it's, uh, it's, it's fall. It's winter's around the corner. Leaves are changing. It's cold outside. Sun's going down a little bit earlier. But uh, yeah, man, it, you know, as I've been waiting for so long to be able to catch a U.S. game over here and for, for that to be... The, the first taste was bitter, but uh, we'll we'll dive into it a little bit. Tom, how's everything in uh, Penn State area? It, it's going pretty well. It's about the same weather, not what I'm really used to in September, but um, uh, you start to see those leaves change color, getting a little bit colder. Um, definitely football season around here. A big game yesterday against Central Michigan. The town was just swarmed with people. Um, and yeah, just trying to survive a very, very long <laughs> semester right now. I had to give a teach my class on high energy astrophysics this week had to give a 75 minute lecture and just about killed myself this week trying to get that done and get get it presented so glad to have the break to talk about the soccer match and just to like decompress for a second because it has been a long semester so far i don't know if this is going to be a very bright and happy conversation tom (laughs) but uh the u.s is not giving us a lot to be warm about these days in their two to nothing loss against japan They had zero shots on target. I repeat, zero shots on target against this team. We had a lot of trouble playing out of the back, losing the ball multiple times in our own defensive third and defensive half. Nobody 
in the starting 11, aside from maybe Matt Turner, had a positive game. So let's just dive into it, guys. I think like this is going to be lethargic for us to talk about it and maybe decompress even our thoughts about this game. But Tom, we'll start with you. You made a ton of notes about what went wrong. So give us a view. What went wrong in Dusseldorf? Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, even golf, and soccer. Bet online continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information, from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Please bet responsibly. It was a multifaceted approach from players just not playing good games, the midfield completely disappearing young team not knowing how to respond to Japan's press and just it looked like a young team who had never faced a World Cup quality opponent before not sure how to respond to a team pressing them that high and not finding the solutions that they needed to find. Ryan you agree? Yeah I mean I think Tom's point uh, you know it looked like from the player standpoint that we had a team that was was not ready to respond to the level of discipline that Japan had, the game plan that they stuck to, and we we really didn't have a way to respond to that. But as well, I'd say, you know, from a, from a coaching standpoint too, it just seemed very like Tuchel at Chelsea-esque. There was, you know, there was the comments recently that came out from Pulisic's book about, you know, when he scored in against Madrid in the Champions League semifinal and how Tuchel was telling him, like, stay in the pocket, stay in the pocket. But he made the decision to take it route one over the top, and, you know, sure enough, it worked out well. I I feel like it was kind of similar to that. Like, the players were given a strict game plan, and they didn't find their own solutions. But as well, it it definitely seemed like it came from the top down, that they they were told to play a specific style with no flexibility when it it was just the, it was the definition of insanity for 45 minutes doing the same thing over and over and just getting the exact same result. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you guys. And one of the things that hurts about this match for me is that it identified the areas of the roster where we maybe left out options for us. I mean, Jesus Ferreira didn't have many touches on the ball. When he did, he missed a you know, pretty wide open shot, a header from six yards out maybe mistimed his jump a little bit, but we see Jordan Pifak in the Bundesliga scoring half of his goals from headers, and he's one of the players that wasn't brought onto this roster. The center backs couldn't complete any passes. Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman were both horrible. Weston McKinney, I especially have to shout out, as someone that was sloppy on the ball, gave the ball away multiple times on simple passes. And when you have players like Tim Ream, who is known for maybe his passing range but not his speed, Or other center backs like John Brooks, who, again, are known for their passing range, maybe not their speed. Those are players that maybe could have helped us find those solutions in this game. So in saying that, like how much of this result lies at the feet of Greg Berhalter versus the players? So I think one of the interesting things about it was was it it, it seems like he had a – 
he's got players he likes and the style that we have grown to expect from the U.S. You know, when Greg first came in, he was very much played out of the back and we're going to build through the back. But I, in my opinion, really throughout qualifying, it seemed like we did go away from that a little bit. We also played teams that sat back against us a little bit. But even teams in CONCACAF that do tend to press, like Honduras and Mexico, like those were kind of two of the teams that gave us a little bit of trouble. So Greg, I, in my, he just seems to be struggling to find that blend of getting the players that he likes into the style that he wants to play. Like, we know Long and Zimmerman are, are, are pretty good 1v1 defenders. They're athletic, but playing out of the back is not going to be their strong suits. Um, so, you know, if they have the flexibility to then maybe play a little bit more route one and try to get in behind, then we, in my opinion, we can't have somebody like necessarily Ferreira in there. I want a PFOC that's going to knock down second balls or even a Josh Sargent, you know, he's so one of those pictures that came out from us soccer. I mean, dude, Josh looks like he's put on about 15 pounds in Norwich. Like dudes, a he's still a young man. <laughs> yeah, dude, he's, he's a tank. He's got, he's got that dad bod going, <laughs> but uh, you know, like it, it, it just seemed like a mismatch, like either let's play athletic guys and play physical ball and play a little bit of route one, or we need to switch the lineup up a little bit if we're going to try to play a more finesse style. So, and also just huge hats off to Japan. I mean, Japan came in, scouted us, knew exactly the style of play that we knew what to expect. And then the moment that they played the ball into the middle, into our midfielders was then that was when they pressed. They didn't put too much pressure on Zimmerman and Long, and yet they still had a handful of turnovers. But it, it just, you could see a team that is just making small adjustments before the World Cup Versus what's super concerning to me is Greg is still talking about evaluating players. Like we got 90 minutes left to do the evaluation period was when you left all these guys out all during qualifying. It, it was really concerning to hear that in the presser after the game. I, yeah, I I'm frustrated with how the U S set up in this game. I'm also trying to remember how many players are out, how banged up the U S is right now. And um, tr trying to remember just uh, how many players were missing. Like, I think that game goes a lot differently if we have Christian Pulisic, if we have Tim Weah, if we have Yunus Musa, if we have Jedi, if we have Chris Richards. If, like, these, these guys who are, I feel like, locked on starters for the U.S., who were not there, who are probably better able to get you out of these jams. If you have a Pulisic who can stretch the defense, go long, Zimmerman maybe can hit a long ball that's, has a better chance of success than finding anyone who was on that front three. If you have Jedi, they can't just press Sam Vines out of the game and squeeze the midfield like they did. I, I feel like the tactical setup didn't match the players that we had available, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to struggle with, I'm struggling with how much to put on Burhalter for that and how much to put on the players for not knowing how to respond when we got in that situation. Uh, McKenney did not seem to be able to feel comfortable dropping back and having to progress the ball that deep. Reyna squeezing in to try and get closer to Sam Vines totally cut off our left side more than once. It was just sort of a very frustrating thing where I felt like there just wasn't a lot of communication between the players, a lot of familiarity between the players, and we really struggled in those situations, and that was frustrating to watch. I don't put a lot of that on Burhalter though, just because there's just 
so many new faces, so many new tactics that they're trying to adjust to. And it's 180 minutes of the World Cup. If you've seen half your starting lineup go out injured, are you going to give your all on a tackle? Are you going to sprint to try and get back with the ball turns? Maybe not. Yeah, but Tom, like that also goes the opposite way for players that are right on the fringes. Mm. Like that half that team was players that are fighting for their lives to get on this roster. And mm. for me personally, I didn't see that intensity and that spirit, even with those players. It was like we were completely flat across the board. So I understand what you're saying for someone like Tyler Adams or Weston McKinney that maybe wouldn't go into a full tackle at risk of injuring themselves for the World Cup when they see all of their their compatriots out on the roster as well. But at the same time, for someone like Sam Vines, Aaron Long, um, I don't know. I yeah, you know, Like Luca De La Torre wasn't very physical this match or, or brought the intensity. It's just kind of like I would expect the opposite result for players that are fighting for their spot on the roster. Vines and Long particularly looked kind of deer in headlights the whole time. They just did not know how to respond. I, I felt like Vines was just invisible. He just did not know how to respond to the press, and it was apparent that he could not handle it. One thing that... Just, I mean, we, we, could all, we could all second guess, but it just, from what it seemed like, was he was very... He didn't want to make any mistakes versus, you know, that's what we see in Jedi's game of his ability to go forward and stretch the pitch a little bit. If we are going to play into the like into the center midfield, so if Japan's going to be tight and can press and press us in the middle, then that's when our center backs would, who didn't have pressure on him, we can play into the middle, but it's got to be a quick one touch out wide to either Sergio or uh, or Serginho or Vines. And Serginho even didn't he didn't get as forward as I would have liked to have seen. Uh, again, he's a guy that's not getting a ton of minutes, kind of finding his way into Milan right now. But, you know, that's what we love about Serginho's game is, is his ability to go forward. And a couple times that he really did get up the pitch, I think he made something happen. But I kind of like you said, Tom, like with, with Vines, it was like, let me just not screw the pooch. If I can just play, you know, a C plus B minus game, maybe I can make my way onto this roster. But in doing so, he, he you know, had us pinned back the whole time. So it, I think you saw him get a, like a little bit more comfortable. But I think if he pushes up the field a little bit more, that helps open things up because our, our center midfielders, a lot of times, you know, Tom, tell me if you agree with this. You saw them not necessarily one once they got the ball in the middle, it was kill the ball, then read the game instead of first timing it outside or, you know, knowing where they the players can expect to be when and then when they killed it or the, they played a simple pass. That's where the turnovers were happening because Japan had time to react That's like to me. But again, I still haven't even gone back and watched it on TV and had the better point of view. So I agree to a point, but specifically Weston McKinney, I disagree with there because Weston McKinney tried, and Tyler Adams to an extent, tried these really fancy moves that didn't come off. There was a point where McKinney tries to lay the ball off to Serginho Dest, but Dest is 20 yards ahead of him. The goal comes when McKinney tries to play a back pass um, to Vines, but Vines is 20 yards upfield and Long doesn't react to come over to the ball. Um, McKinney just didn't seem to be clicking and he would try and make these one-touch passes that would go to where he expected a player to be, and it just wasn't there. Tyler Adams turned the ball over once in the second half where he tried a dummy in his own box for Luca De La Torre, and that just, that was never going to work and resulted in a the turnover. There were these sort of one-touch moments where players 
would think that they knew what the midfield was going to do and, or the center backs and the back and the wing backs were going to do it. And they just weren't doing it. There was just no cohesion there to try those really quick plays. Yeah. I mean, so Japan set up in a mid block, like pretty, pretty far up their own defensive half. They played us in a four, four, two press. They had two attackers that were kind of covering our back line, but really started to press once we made that first pass out and the U S just couldn't figure it out. I, I want to get your guys take on this because right before the game, the day before, Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams had a press conference where um, they were asked about Japan and their tactics and their style, how they're preparing for them. And Weston McKinney made a comment about how he doesn't necessarily know very much about them. He hasn't seen them play. He doesn't know about their players or their tactics. Maybe Tyler knows something else that he doesn't, and Tyler de- declined to answer any further. That, to me, is, yes, it's on the players, but how how can you not be preparing your team if you're Greg Berhalter for this match to think about how you might be pressed, to think about maybe how you're going to play and build experience going into the World Cup against opponents that might play the same way as the team you're about to face. Like, isn't that what these games are about to help prepare you and to hear players say they don't know much about them, they haven't done much scouting, they haven't heard or seen much from this team that they're about to play one one night before? That really just irked me a little bit but what what did you guys think of maybe those comments and our preparation for japan tom go ahead it seems like burhalter is overlooking these friendlies in favor of trying to prep them for the world cup opponents which is i mean fair but at the same time if you're going to play these friendlies you don't want to get blown out of the water in them so it doesn't make sense to me why you would not at least you know show some film try and look at how they set up, try and look at how they're going to play you. That's just very frustrating from a coaching standpoint. And I can see where they're coming from, but geez, that's just annoying. Yeah, dude. And you're going to hear this a handful of times throughout this huge respect to Japan as a team and their preparation. Uh, And side note on top of it, their fan base just absolutely notches above other fan bases that I've had the opportunity to interact with just the the nicest people in the world, like just having great conversations before and after the game with their entire fan base and then seeing them clean up their section, you know, afterwards. And, you know, that uh, had a little effect on the the U S fans that were in the AO section, you know, you saw them grabbing, grabbing trash bags and stuff. And so it was cool to see them have that influence on our fan base Hopefully that can translate as well from their players and their coaches translating into our team as well. Because I think if you ask any Japan player, you know, hey, what are you expecting from the United States tomorrow? They would have told you exactly what we went out and played as. They knew precisely what we were doing. You saw for maybe uh, the first five minutes, they were kind of saying, okay, is this going to be, you know, either route A or route B, which, cause the U S like I said, in the beginning of qualifying, they did play out of the back a little bit, but then throughout qualifying, they got a little bit more direct. And so the moment Japan, it seemed like they had a plan A and plan B for us. They were ready. They used that as a way to come into a game and say, all right, we're preparing for X opponent. Let's see what we need to do to get a result against this opponent versus again, Greg still saying, oh, I'm using this as a time to evaluate said player. It, 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 I know we're a young team, but the, the inexperience from the players showed a little bit. 
a little lackadaisical, but also massively from the coaching staff. It, and I think that reflects in the players not, you know, not having any familiarity with film. It, it was really disappointing to see. And hopefully, you know, to look at it from a half full standpoint, getting slapped like this right before the World Cup, hopefully is a wake up call and hoping to see better things on Tuesday. I was about to ask, so we'll do our, our preview of Saudi Arabia after we finish this conversation, but like, what are the lessons learned from this game for the U.S.? Well, I have actually, I mean, I have a variety of questions back to, to you guys as well. So one player that you touched on him a little bit, Jake, but uh, a guy that we saw and a lot of people were advocating for, myself included, but now not getting any regular minutes with his club is De La Torre, man. It was, it was concerning. I don't know that I have necessarily the right person to replace him at this time but the fact that you haven't heard many people talk about it after the game we're not talking about it the step the drop-off from Musa to De La Torre just for this game specifically in my opinion was massive do you guys have concerns that he's not getting really any minutes at Celta Vigo and are we going to see that translate if other teams press us it doesn't look like it plays well into De La Torre's game. He, if we're in possession, sure, but I don't know. Are, are you guys Part of De La Torre, yeah. right now? I, I, especially on rewatch, De La Torre goes, sort of shows up as a glaring, like, poor performance in this game. His touch was really poor. He couldn't settle anything to his feet. When he tried to dribble, he made the wrong decisions, dribbled himself into corners. When he tried to pass, he wasn't on connecting with his teammates at all just nothing came off for him. And it's really concerning considering for me, I see him as being a press resistant player where his dribbling is supposed to be what he can do. He can do the Musa things, not quite as well, but get himself out of trouble using his feet. And that was just not what we saw from him. I was specifically thinking that his lack of minutes for his club has really affected his game is especially in settling the ball. His touch just was off. It was very, I'm concerned about how he's playing. I, I don't feel comfortable with him in the lineup after that game. Hopefully he starts getting some regular minutes because otherwise I don't see him being an option for anything more than spot minutes at the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, I'm in complete agreement that it's concerning. I think the way that we tried to play was to have the direct Musa replacement and play the exact same way, which is extremely worrying for the World Cup because you can't tell me a team like England isn't going to try and press us. And if we don't have someone like, yes, it's great to have players like Yunus Musa and like Serginho Dest that can break a press with a dribble. Like that, mm-hmm. that is one way to break a press, right? Is to beat your man on the dribble and condense the defense and have them lose their man mark. That's one way to, to break the press. If we don't have Yunus Musa or, or if Serginho Dest doesn't have a game where he's beating people one-on-one and opening up space, then what do we do? And so like, that is my concern is when we, when we knew, when we identified that we had to go to a plan B, that it just wasn't working for us to try and break the press, to try and build from the back. We didn't really do anything differently. We weren't trying to play into the channels and win second balls. And Luca De La Torre was a big part of that. I, yes, maybe his club form is something that is converting over to the U.S., I think in, in all honesty, like what I saw from a lot of players, Luca De La Torre included, and probably at the top of this list, was players that didn't want to have the ball at their feet. They weren't coming short to ask for the ball. They weren't confident when they took that first touch. And again, Luca, because I expect him to be a great player to 
move on the half turn to beat a player on the dribble. And he, he was barely able to take a good first touch. Like that is, that is really concerning for me uh, in a game where like, like I'm having a lot of trouble and a lot of dissonance between like what I feel about Greg Berhalter and how he prepared this team for the match and just all 11 player, all 10 field players having like one of their worst games in their entire careers all together at once. I mean, yes, Luca De La Torre should be pointed out for his performance, but man, it must be really difficult to be having a bad day when all of the other players around you are also having their worst games ever. And collectively yeah. having the entire midfield have their worst game in U.S. shirts is just not good. That's just not going to be a recipe for success. No one in that midfield played well. Yeah, and I mean, we've heard De La Torre in that, in that great scuffed interview a while back. Of He was saying he wants to touch the ball as much as possible. He's a guy that's going to demand the ball every single time. And it just, you know, it, it was just disappointing to see that he had an opportunity in front of him and didn't take it. Uh, still believe in the talent. I think, you know, we can move on a little bit to the top three and, you know, talk a little bit more about, you know, Brendan Aronson as well. He's been everybody's favorite player for the beginning of the Premier League, all of us included. We've loved watching him. Um, but it was interesting to see a lot of people have been advocating for him to be in the starting lineup. And, and I'm not going to have any like harsh responses from one bad performance in today's game, especially considering, in my opinion, it, he wasn't playing with the number nine I think he should be playing with. We didn't have Pulisic on the other side. You know, Pulisic at least slows that game down a little bit because of how much he gets fouled on the half turn. So he at least gives us a chance to march the ball up the field a little bit. It's not fluid and silky, but at least he gives us a chance to move that back line up the field a little bit. So how did how what was your guys' takeaway from Aronson's performance as well? He's everyone's been advocating for that, you know, he should be in the starting eleven. Do we still feel that way? Do we give this game a little bit of a push? Or was this I a mean, little bit I'm more? To be honest, in, in the first half, Ryan, outside of Matt Turner, I thought Brendan Aronson was the best player in the US jersey. And that means right. he was like a two point five out of ten. Uh, like he was still bad but there was nobody else even trying. Like he was still drawing fouls. He was still trying to find space. He connected with Serginho Dest to have that first chance in the first few minutes with the cross into Jesus Ferreira. So I'm not disagreeing with you, but I would almost like point it back to someone that we haven't even talked about. We haven't even mentioned their name. And to me, that says they were completely invisible. And it's someone that we were the most excited to see. And that's Gio Reyna on the other yeah. side. I don't think he had a progressive touch until the 22nd minute of when this game. Run. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Brendan Aronson wasn't good, but again, like the entire team was worse in my eyes from Brendan. Aronson. Yeah. So we can, we can yeah. kind of call it a push a little bit. Like, it, yeah, it, I, yeah, yeah. Cause he still did, he still did the baseline Aronson things. He still, you know, was very active. He still had the work rate. We just didn't see any chance for him to skin somebody one-on-one -on -one or get in behind the back line. What did you see on your rewatch, Tom? The only thing that sticks out when you watch the re when you sort of have the rewatch going is that Brendan Aronson just gets fouled every time he touches yeah. the ball. Japan identified that he's the dangerous one. If he touches the ball, we're going to cut him down and make sure he does not do anything the rest of the game. Um, and he that's got exactly the what happened. Treatment. Yeah, he got the. Yeah. He does. He's he has a chance to shine of Pulisic in the game because Pulisic is the one getting hacked to death and not him. And basically, yeah, he just 
every time he touched the ball, a Japan player just rolled over him, including in the 52nd minute, there was a time where he got, he clearly got speared in the back of the leg. And that's our straight red card every day of yeah. the week in guitar. If that's a competitive so, match, that's, that's a red card. Yeah. So, so we're definite. Mm, yeah. It's just one of those, you, Aronson's never had that treatment before. It's not something he's going to know how to react to and clearly it disrupted his game a little bit, but when the midfield is not progressing the ball the way our midfield wasn't, the wingers are not going to shine. So I, I, it's kind of a push, like Jake said, for me. Yeah, and, and so how you're talking, Jake, that we haven't really talked about Gio much and we weren't really fond of De La Torre's game. A lot of us have advocated, advocated for it. Do we want to see Gio in the middle? Gio's, you want to talk about a player yes. that can beat that kind of press? <laughs> It's why, Gio why out on the wing and being isolated yeah. out there yeah. just seems like a, you know, Burhalter again, kind of making the mistake of, of putting him out there in the middle. I think he has the ability to potentially dribble through there and open things up for us. Yeah. I mean, here's the other thing that comes with being a national team when you're trying to play a specific style and Greg, Greg also takes it one step further by playing a specific formation every single time. So it's one thing to play a specific tactic and a style but it's another thing to bring that to one formation. And now that Greg has coached this team into a 4-3-3 with three midfielders, one anchor, wide midfielders, one number nine, like there's no flexibility in the formation when people are injured and you have to play your best 11. So yes, Gio Reyna should be in the center of the pitch when we have Yunus Musa out. And we can talk all we want about who we would take as the winger or whatever. It was way more important in that game against Japan when they were overloading the midfield four versus three every single time we got the ball to have someone else that could progress the, the ball a little bit further. And yeah, we think Luka De La Torre was going to be that guy. Maybe he's better for spot minutes and to come against a, a tired defense, but Gio Reyna is by far a better player than Luka De La Torre and can pick up the ball and progress it from the midfield. Yeah, and we're talking about how, you know, Japan was so well prepped for us and how we're doing kind of the same thing over and over. Does that does that concern you guys going into the World Cup? I mean, teams are going to have a lot of film on what we do. And do we have any <laughs> other ideas? It doesn't look like it right now. I, I did think we did have a good tactical switch after the first half. The game settled down a lot more when Burhalter realized at halftime, this is clearly not working. Threw Reggie Cannon on for Cedrino Des, played a back three, and played a 3-2-2-3, three, two, two, three, where he let, where we added a midfielder, we went to a double pivot, and just sort of really ran with a much more, a much more uh, possessive style. Yeah, similar to how we played against Morocco. That also depended on Reggie Cannon, who is now injured. He's out with a groin injury, and will be out a few weeks, so we won't see him against Saudi Arabia. So guys, I'd I want to ask, who are the winners and losers from from this match? Are they even on the pitch? Are they people that didn't see the field? Uh, Tom, Tom, who were your stars and strikes for this game? Uh, the star has to be Matt Turner. Like, man of the match, he was amazing. The two goals are definitely not his fault, and he sort of bailed us out three or four times on just amazing saves. Clear winner for me, as and probably the starter of the World Cup as a result of that one. I think that the winners are probably Chris Richards, Eunice Musa, um, and Tim Weah, frankly. Players who weren't even there. Maybe even Jordan Peefock as well, guys, who just didn't have a chance to look bad against a, re a really talented opponent. So I, I have 
very little positive to say about anyone who was actually on the field. Winners for you, Ryan? Yeah, I definitely agree that Turner is really the only one that you can walk away from that and feel pretty good uh, about their performance. Uh, second half, you know, I, I'd say that I did like, you know, Aronson at least taking people on. We were able to move the ball into the into the opponent's half a little bit more. So Aronson being able to cut inside and at least try to get, you know, a shot off was one of the highlights. Uh, I think Sargent showed decently well for holdup play. I It just we need to have a plan B when we can't play it through the middle. So I, I really want to see winners, I guess, if you will, you know, people like PFOC and Sargent up top a little bit. And, and, and that's not a knock on Jesus. I think Jesus has a spot in this team, um, you know, against a team that is going to sit back against us. Jesus can help us out. Um, but, you know, in a game where we're just getting big brothered out there, like we, it, that it's, yeah. we're going to want to have a, an alternative option and have a big, cut one or two strikers that we could put up top. So I'd say, you know, in, in my opinion, those are the winners. I don't know that Greg saw it, it that way. Uh, you know, he is always very quick to come to the defense of his favorites. And that's another thing that just kind of drives me crazy about it. You know, listening to his press conferences, God, I mean, if you're, if you're looking just for some like self mutilation, it's just sit there and listen to his press conferences. The dude just makes excuse after excuse and it, it, it's very frustrating to watch. So besides that, uh, I think the only, again, the only halfway full, I'm trying to look at this, the win, the win from this game, not necessarily a specific winner, is it better be a wake-up call for everybody on this team? You know, like, guys, it's, you cannot half-ass it. I want to see all these guys leave this camp and take a level of intensity to their clubs as well to say, shit, I need to get informed right now and be getting minutes and be pushing myself doing that little bit extra every single day because it was just embarrassing. I don't think a single player can walk off that field and, and be proud that they're of their performance besides Turner. Yeah. I mean, I do think Jordan Pifa got tangibly closer to the Qatar world cup roster by not being yeah, there. Scally. I, so that's the other name that I was going to throw out. I think those are two winners that didn't even see the field. Um, Reggie Cannon is now injured. DeAndre Edlin is going to be the other option at fullback. So I do think we'll see Joe Scali. I was a little bit surprised to not see him be the, the substitute at right back. However, that was probably also from the formation switch to have Reggie Cannon come in and play a bit of a center back position. So yeah, I think Joe Scali won a little bit. I actually, I do think Jordan Pifak moved a lot closer to the world cup roster through that. And it's not necessarily that Jesus Ferreira lowered himself on the depth chart. It's more that everyone was like, well, that was a specific ball, a specific cross that mm-hmm. Jordan Pifak and Jordan Pifak alone would 100% score. Yeah. Probably Josh Sargent would score that. Maybe Ricardo Pepe would score that. Jesus Ferreira didn't score that. So I think Jordan Pifak gets closer. Matt Turner obviously showed well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically it. People that didn't see the field Reem? and Matt Turner. Well, what yeah. about the Tim Ream question that is lingering and still <laughs> a game like this sets it, up really well for Tim Ream? I think, again, it just depends on what Greg wants to do. He either needs to let us play direct, and when we can't feed it through the middle, let us play fucking long balls. Like, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> give, me, give me a thug up top like Sargent who in a box is going to try to, you know, get physical with somebody. Give me somebody big like PFOC that wants to go in and fight somebody in a phone booth. 
Like I, I but you can't try say, to play cute with guys like Long and Zimmerman at the back. Like so, it's make a decision, shit or get off the pot. I will say we did try ten long balls in the first half that did not connect. So we did try and go route one ten different times. Turner with, tried three, what, yeah, Zimmerman tried three, Guess tried one, Vines tried two, McKenzie tried one when he came in. They all didn't come off. So yeah, we we had a front three of Aronson, Reyna, and Ferreira. None of those guys are going to go up and win you headers. Maybe Reyna yeah. wins one, but like those are not three guys that we're going to be able to play long to. If you're going to do that, stick Weston McKenney up there, win the ball, and then go back into your formation. It, it was also annoying that Jesus Ferreira is there because he's a good connector of the ball, and we didn't see him drop deep to receive the ball at all. We saw Josh Sargent at times play <laughs> as the number six trying to get the ball. We saw like there, I, there I, were moments. There, there, yeah. there were moments where Jesus Ferrer did drop in. Um, I didn't even clock him for a turnover in the first half. So um, there, there, <laughs> so yeah, the <laughs> midfield curse. Yeah, he, he, when he dropped in the midfield, but I noticed at times he was setting up as a 10 almost in a 4-4-2 diamond in the first half, and it wasn't really working for us very well. Yeah. He tried to come in and play that role, tried to go drop deep, and we never found the ball to him. We found a way to get the ball to him. I think that's mainly just on the midfield. Adams and the center backs were not going to find a way to play the ball into his feet. So, I will so say who though, lost stuff? Oh, go ahead, Tom. I will say that Ferreira did statistically generate more danger than anyone else in the U.S. roster. He had the highest XG plus XA. He always has the highest XG plus XA, XA when he plays. So to, to, the stats continue to back up. He has a role in this team. It's just very frustrating that the danger he generated was the about the least dangerous danger he could have generated, given how he plays. Yeah. All right. Losers in this match, Ryan. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I, I just, I have question marks and concerns uh, about De La Torre a little bit. Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from him, him be more demanding about, you know, getting the ball and being able to play on the turn. So I think that's a, a bit of a knock for him. Um I, I was a person that was kind of clamoring a bit for uh, Sammy Vines. Been getting, he's played literally, I believe, every single minute for Antwerp so far. So he's a guy that's definitely earned it. But we're 180 minutes before. We can't, we can't be evaluating people at this point. I know I've hammered it, but it just drives me bonkers. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like your call for Scali next game, but – I do want to go back to to qualifying when I told you guys when we were waiting to see if Serginio could get called in that Scally was the last phone call. Like Greg basically had to call him in. A guy that's playing again week in and week out in the Bundesliga that Greg just doesn't seem to rate it because he you know maybe doesn't fit Craig's system. It's it's absolutely exhausting. Uh, so I, I would definitely say that Vines takes a hit because. Him playing conservatively, I think, almost did what he was trying to avoid. Uh, so I think that definitely hurt a little bit. Um, besides that, <laughs> is that Jensen trying to get Wait, some screens out? Dex, Dex McCarty, you know, Dex. the cat, wants to get involved. <laughs> uh, and then besides that second half, it was hard to take away. I, I didn't get to see a lot of like the Cardoso time, the Tillman time. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if they jumped off the page much to you guys or if they did anything to advance their play. But besides that, the the biggest loss for me was is going to be Vines. 
Everyone wants to talk about Long. He started the last five games in a row for the U.S. I mean, we can all be very disappointed with it, but, I mean, you better start getting used to taking that pill because Greg's calling him in. It sucks yeah. that we have to – and if, if Greg wants to play direct, it's fine, but if we're going to see him there. To me, that's more a loss on Greg to continue yeah. – like, like you said, to continue yeah. to try and do the same thing and get the same results over and over. Tom, mm-hmm. do you have any different losers – I mean, Long stood out to me as not being good. I think Walker Zimmerman lost stock, though. That was a really shocking thing to me. He's not played well in MLS the last two months. He didn't look good in possession. I clocked him for three failed long balls. I clocked him for three lost possessions. I didn't think he filled the space well trying to go on transition moments, especially on the goal. Um, Although Bob Morocco disagrees with me, and we've gone back and forth a little bit on the Scuff Discord about this, but... um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I felt like we needed him to step up and be the captain, be the one who is the most experienced player on this team, the one to settle things down when things aren't going well, the one to play well when his team is not being a, is not able to progress the ball and he just wasn't able to be the rock at the back we needed him to be. And it's really concerning. I, I would have liked to see more from him in that, especially with the captain's armband in a game going that poorly. So... Yeah, yeah, it, it was. He was just definitely not what I wanted. So I mean, looking ahead, right? Where do we go from this game? I think all of us kind of had the same opinion that this Group B at the World Cup is good enough for us to expect to get out of the group stage and make that first knockout round. After this match, has your opinion credibly changed in that regard? I want to say I would like to see we don't have quite the leadership we had in qualifying in the qualifying games towards 2018. But I'll take you back to it was the home qualifier against Costa Rica. And in the first half, we were just getting absolutely slapped by Costa Rica. And you saw Jermaine Jones and Michael Bradley basically grilling Jurgen Klinsmann saying we need to change the formation and we need to play a dip, you know, a little bit more direct and play a different style. I want to see somebody from our team push back and try to, you know, even if something is not working from a tactical standpoint, that was the pregame plan, throw the book out the window and, you know, maybe at least give the team a little bit of spark. Uh, so if we could, if we could have somebody or, you know, at least a few players, and I think you kind of heard it in uh, Tyler Adams' post-game press conference. He did talk about a little bit that, you know, tactically it just didn't work for us today. So, you know, seeing seeing some guys kind of take the game into their own hands, and I think we have players that are capable of doing it. I think you'll see a little bit of that from Christian. I think you'll see that from Weston. When he's got Christian there, they're kind of, you know, they're buddies that go way back, and I think they can kind of be each other's hype man a little bit. So you know, I do think it we... does need to come from one of those top three guys because to me, that's why John Brooks isn't on this team right now because of how <laughs> he public publicly was arguing with Greg during the away match against was it Honduras when we were down one, none, one nothing at halftime. So. Mm-hmm. Um, like that to me is one of the reasons why John Brooks isn't on this roster. Mm-hmm. So I it needs say... to come from one guy that is will... definitely going to be there. <laughs> yeah. I will push back a little bit in that Tyler Adams also blamed himself in the press conference for saying, you know, we had a game plan. There were 
ways we were supposed to adjust if they were pressed. And we decided to play hero ball and try to take things on ourselves where McKenney and Adam specifically tried to do that. And it just didn't work at all. If you're going to do that and take the thing, the game into your own hands, you better be willing to do it all collectively and tell everyone what you're going to do, because otherwise you see Weston McKenney passing the ball directly to a Japanese player and giving up a goal. Yeah. So yeah, in the, in the example that I get, yeah. In the example, it was, you know, you can see Jermaine and Michael Bradley doing it together. So yeah, like kind of putting the two of what both of you guys said together, we need two players doing it and we need everybody to be on the same page. Definitely agreed. We just need to have more than one plan. It's so frustrating to watch. I think it's, it's frustrating to us and probably frustrating to you guys who are listening and watching is that this isn't like a one-off game, right? We, we've had the exact same conversations throughout all of qualifying. We haven't won a, an away match outside of the U.S. in our last eight games. So to just have this continue over and over again, to have the same results over and over again, I think that's why potentially it's so frustrating for us. Um, but Tom, I'll start with you. Like, what do you need to see in the match against Saudi Arabia to get your, your confidence back in the U.S. national team? I want to see them play angry. Um, I, I feel like that was one of my big things that I was frustrated by was that not only were they getting run over, they just didn't seem to be playing with any passion and any spark. And that was really just frustrating. I want to see them come out, respond to being hit in the mouth by just playing the best that they can, getting in people's faces, doing the CONCACAF things that people in our region should know how to do, being energetic and just playing as a unit I, I i just want to see the passion there i want to see them show me that they're 90 minutes left to a world cup and they want to get a good result to get themselves on the right page ryan how about you what do you need to see in this match yeah so i mean a lot of things uh i think you know tom you made a good point earlier about the the foul that was on aronson that we didn't see anybody from the u.s men's national team respond to that you didn't see you know Granted, the Japanese are the nicest, most respectful team, but still, you, you have one of your players get hacked in the back. You got to go get in somebody's face. You can't just let that go. And, you know, then I forget who it was a few minutes later. Maybe it was De La Torre picks up a yellow for a foul coming in from behind. So I, I agree with that. I want to see, you know, somebody have that spark, have that that dog about them that's willing to you know, get the, the level from everybody up a little bit. Tactically, I want to see a lot of things. I want to see Sargent up top. Uh, I want to see Scally in there at left back. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to having McKenzie start next to Zimmerman. I'd be a big fan of that. Uh, I want to see Geo in the middle. So those are all things. And then, you know, we can play a little bit of the same style, but when, when it doesn't work, if it doesn't work for us through the middle, because then that gives us a, a few different options. I think Geo could potentially break that press in the middle by turning a player or dribbling past. And then if that doesn't work, we've got a big guy up top like Sargent. And, and I hear you earlier, Tom, about, you know, we played 10 long balls. But when you play 10 long balls to a dude that's five foot 10 and it isn't willing to mix it up, it just doesn't, you know, it, I think it there's potential, at least for a different result, with a guy like Sargent who, let's face it, at Bremen – did that all day long because he was a forward at Bremen and they were constantly under pressure. So they had to play route one last year for Norwich. He was doing a lot of the same thing when he was playing up top because they had to play a lot of route one. 
So it's something Sargent is super familiar with that he can be the guy to potentially get in the back line or at least play more directly. So, yeah, I mean, for me, different things I want to see. Scally, McKenzie, I want to see Turner in there again. I want to see Geo in the middle. And I want to see uh, Sargent up top. I will shout out Mark McKenzie was probably another winner that I should have said. Uh, I thought he had a relatively good game and, and stable game getting out of the back in that second half. Um, for me, I would 100%. I just need to see that effort that Tom was talking about. I feel like this team sometimes rests on their laurels of being the most talented squad, most technical squad that the U.S. has ever had without the bite and the grittiness of the U.S. team from 2000 to 2014. And if you could just combine those two things and and have that grittiness, that Jermaine Jones, that Michael Bradley at his peak fight that we had maybe at the 2009 Confederations Cup or, or the 2010, 2014 World Cups, if we could have that bite and that fight about us with our technical ability, we could be a team that people are going to be scared of. But as it stands right now, we can be pushed around. We can be pressured. We can you know, be put down to the point where our players have their heads down and they've lost confidence and they've lost fight. So yeah, we just need to get back to that point where we care about the match as much as the other team. Okay. And we know they can do it because we've seen them do it against yeah. Mexico three or four times in the last year. We, so, we absolutely yeah. have. Um, all right. Anything else to say about this match against Japan before we, we move on to the national teams, uh, the youth national teams? I yeah, think man. we pretty well covered it. All right, guys. So let's just quickly review what's been happening throughout this week. As the senior team has been playing and preparing for this World Cup, We've had our U-17 squad, we've had our U-19 squad, and we've had our U-20 squad all playing in Europe. The U-17s have lost two matches, one against Germany and one against Slovakia. They beat Croatia this morning 4-1. to one. Most of the teams in this tournament brought their U-18 squads, so they were competitive matches. Um, the U-19s have defeated Malta 5-0. They beat Croatia 4-3. to three. And they will take on Scotland at 11 a.m. Eastern time on Tuesday morning. The U-20s have defeated Peru 3-1 and lost a nail-biter to the host Mexico 2-1 last night. And they'll finish against Paraguay Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So I hope you all have work off. I hope you all have time off on Tuesday because you have U.S. teams playing at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Eastern, and 2 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure you have that those times blocked out. And all right, what else? Last words, I guess, now that we've all gotten that out of our system and been able to talk about this U.S. team. Uh, who wants to start us off on our last words? I mean, I'll, I'll, go, I'll jump in there, I guess. Um, it's just, it's 90 more minutes, man. It's one more chance. It's, you know, we don't need to be evaluating people at this point. You need to dance with the girl that brought you. So, you know, we can all try to say that we want, you know, kind of some fringe guys to be called in, but PFOC has been there throughout. Scally is one of those fringe guys that we're kind of hoping gets in, but he's at least been in plenty of camps. Um, you know, it's, it's the, like, that's why I really want to see a big performance from Josh because he, he got minutes very early on during qualifying and before that. So at least I think he's got some cred there. But uh, I think a big performance from him in this next game, potentially a goal for Josh, 
could lock him in. You know, he he'll go full circle, starting the World Cup qualifying cycle as our as our starting nine, and then you know, would a little bit out of form and come all the way back to be right in time to be our starting nine as we go into Qatar. So yeah. let's enjoy Highs this last lows. ninety minutes. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's enjoy these last ninety minutes uh, because you know it's. But after our next game after this is going to, you know, give us all an ulcer, I'm sure. So enjoy this one for, you know, at least we can get away with a mistake or two here or there. So enjoy this last 90. Yeah. I, I'll just sort of say enjoy this run in general. It's, it's you know, not a guarantee that we get to see our teams at these at World Cup and on the biggest stages playing these matches. So just enjoy it. Try, to, try not to get too bogged down in the details. Try not try to remember exactly like how much fun it is to be a U.S. men's national team fan. Um, we're gonna have our frustrating moments talking about these matches, talking about those rosters. But guys, the World Cup coming up very soon. Yeah, absolutely. My last word, guys, is thank you so much for sticking with us through the break. We all had moves and other things in life that were stopping us from making content for you guys. But now we're back in the rhythm. We will have these podcasts weekly or more as the games depend on. Throughout the World Cup, we'll have coverage. Um, I am trying to join as many virtual press conferences as possible and get them out to you guys on YouTube. For some reason, U.S. Soccer is not posting these. So if you want to see the Greg Berhalter or any of the other interviews after the Japan match that we talked about in this episode, they are posted on the It's Called Soccer channel. If you guys do want to help support independent coverage of your favorite game. We do have a Patreon available to support, but make sure you're subscribed to this channel and like the video so more people can find us. We are on our last run up to the World Cup just as much as this U.S. national team. So make sure you're supporting independent coverage of U.S. soccer. And we'll see you next time on It's Called Soccer. Peace. Servus. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.